are listening to a podcast from C3 Church Wallandilly. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash C3 Wallandilly. All right, well, good morning. If uh, you haven't met me, as Pastor Ravana said, my name is Rowan and Jill and I are the lead pastors and you've got amazing location pastors. I, I took some video of Pastor Ravana praying there. I missed Terry giving acknowledgement of country, but there was such a, a powerful, significant moment right then for the culture of us as a church and what we're about. And, uh, and so I wanted to take today, Australia Day, uh, to do something a little bit different to what we've done before. You might have come thinking today is the last day of our summer series and, you know, let's just throw a pawn on the, on the barbie and slap each other on the back and say, g'day, mate, how's everything going? And just then go out and have a coffee and just have fun in church. Is it okay today if I don't do that? It's funny that you should say that because you don't know what I'm about to tell you I'm going to do, do you? But I, I thought that today I think is a significant moment for us as, as we could uh, establish a significant stake in the ground for a value that I believe God has called us to hold very dear. And I'm going to talk about that. And we're going to talk today around the concept of, of nationalism and the concept of ethnicity and, and race and diversity. And uh, I know right from the start that when we do this, uh, I do this, well, I, I was talking to some people during the week and they said, do you... How do you feel about preaching sensitive topics from, from the pulpit? And I thought back, oh, no, no, no. Now, do, do you feel it uncomfortable? And I, I said, no, I don't feel uncomfortable. I don't mind preaching sensitive topics from the pulpit, but I do treat it with a great responsibility. Jill was answered the same question as she said, I feel very uncomfortable about it. But her view is not about, she doesn't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. She's much more gracious than I am. That doesn't bother me. So uh, I'm not worried about making people feel uncomfortable. In fact, I actually see that as a preacher, that's part of my job. Because, um, you know, if we need to have voices speaking into our world that challenge us, that cause us to think outside the box, to think differently. If we only are hearing the same voices saying the same things that we agree with, we'll find ourselves in an echo chamber where we hear the same voice and it reaffirms what we believe. We need to be challenged. And so I don't necessarily have a problem with talking sensitive issues. However, I don't want to be like a bull in a china shop and just charge through where angels fear to tread either. I'm aware of the sensitivities. And so today I'm going to talk around this topic, and as I do, I'm aware that, uh, that not everyone will necessarily agree with my perspective, and my, and my job is not to have you agree with me, okay? Uh, that's not my task. My task is, as I believe under the anointing of God, is, is called to preach what I believe the Word of God is saying, and, uh, and then have you weigh that up and say, is this for me? Is this not for me? What do I need to change or alter in my world? And, and I look back at messages that I preached even just two years ago, and I see how much I've grown, and I would say things differently to what I said two years ago, and, and so on. We're all together on a, on a journey. So I thought we might play a little game, first of all, um, if that's okay. Uh, kids, don't worry about it. The kids up the back, they're fine. We're going to have, uh, we're gonna have uh, kids' ministry going to be starting again next week when we get into February, but I'm going to sit down for this game, and uh, I'm going to do a stand-up sit-down game. Is that okay? Ooh, I nearly, I nearly sat right down on the floor, didn't I? Okay, I want you to, the first question that Pastor Ravana asked at the beginning is, stand up if you have Indigenous heritage or you recognise, you, you, uh, recognise yourself as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. If that's you, stand up. Okay. All right. 
Okay, so there you go. So that's a lesson for me. As Pastor Ivana said, Leonie told me before the service when in the pre-service meeting, Pastor uh, Ivana or Terry said, we're going to do an acknowledgement of country. And Leonie went, yes. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I went up, commended her on that because some people are sensitive about that. But, uh, but I thought it was great. And I asked her and she told me that, that she had indigenous heritage. Now, stand up if, if you were born in a nation other than Australia. If you, no, no, stay standing. You people who are standing, stay standing. Stay standing if you were born in a nation other than Australia. Stand up if one or both of your parents were born in a nation other than Australia. Stand up if one or more of your grandparents were born in a nation other than Australia. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Now, we're going to do, stay standing for a second. We're going to do, try and do something very, I'm going to explain it so we don't get confused. If you are standing, I want you to sit down, and if you are sitting down, I want you to stand up. Wow. Look at that. That is not surprising to me, actually. We that are standing, we are the definition of white privileged Australians. Okay? All six of us. <laughs> now, I say that for a reason. Because we that are standing have, at least, in fact, you could go back further. My, my parents have done their family trees, and from what I could, it's a long, long way back before we have any heritage outside of the nation of Australia. Now, what that means, as for me and, and for us that are standing, it's important because we need to recognise something. That is that our culture and our worldview, whether we like it or not, has been shaped by a very white, white perspective of, a, of this nation. and let them, There might be exceptions to the rule, but generally. And what that means is, even despite our best intentions of wanting to be embracive of other cultures, there will be times when I will say things that offend or are inappropriate. And it's not always because I mean to, it's just because I don't understand, because I have not embraced or had access to different ethnicities, different cultures. And what I want to talk about today is a recognition of that and help us all to understand that culture and different ethnicities are actually part of God's beautiful plan for this planet. And we should acknowledge that, we should celebrate that, and we should not be fearful of that. And the reason I say this, you guys can sit down now, the reason I say it especially is because in my experience, Jill, I heard Jill say the word convict at the front there, so convict ancestry. Well, that's, that's got a whole different issue with it as well, hasn't it? The reason I say that is because I personally do get concerned at times that large portions of Australian Christians, if you're a Christian, especially if you're not a Christian here, you might, you might have said, yeah, I've seen that, or you, this might be one of the reasons that you've been concerned about church life. Large portions of Australian Christians express naivety when it comes to different ethnicities, when it comes to different cultures, different backgrounds. And uh, for my part as lead pastor here in this church and the churches that we lead, I believe it's very important that we be a, cult, we be a church that does not just speak from one culture or one ethnicity. We speak from, we do have one culture, but it's not a culture of Australia. It's the culture of the kingdom. It's kingdom of God culture. And before we finish this morning, 
I'm going to believe, I believe I'm going to attempt to show you that kingdom of God culture is not dependent upon any nation on this planet. And so when I see Christians, uh, what's the word I'm after, uh, cheering on or celebrating their nation like it's the only nation or, or the way we do life is the right way and the only way, and you can read into that whatever political statement or whoever you want to think I'm talking about, but when I see that, I get concerned that a lot of that is fear-based. A lot of that is, oh, what if these other people change our way of life? And I want to tell you, I want to go on record. It's on rec- I want to go on record. I do not agree with that. I do not agree with that. And I do not believe that, that the apostles of the New Testament believed that either. And today, I'm going to unpack some scripture. And as I say, it might tread on some toes. But I'm well aware that I, my view on these things is quite moderate. So as I speak... I'm aware that I likely have people who will say, well, I wrote down, these are the views. Some people might say that, uh, that I am being un-Australian or I am putting our Australian national values at risk. There may be others who say the fact that you even recognise Australia as a nation is wrong. And I sit in the middle. I love our nation. I love our national teams. I love sport. I love a lot about our nation. But I don't live in a world where I think that Australia has everything right or Australia, Australians' ethics about everything are right because I want to honour the ethics of the kingdom. And the ethics of the kingdom of God transcend politics. They transcend left and right. They transcend progressive and conservative. They are, they are different to that. The kingdom culture is different. And so, um, you know, in fact, the Apostle Paul, when he would speak, he would have people who would say, you're a heretic and they want to burn him at the stake. He, hopefully that won't happen today. But, but uh, you know, arrest me and send me off to be to the mob or whatever. There might be people, they had people like that. He had people who, who go, oh, suddenly... It all makes sense to me. I get it now. And then he had this third group that go, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought about it. I, I don't quite understand what you're saying, but, but if you've got me intrigued, I'd like to hear more. Three different kinds of responses to the same message. And so to some degree, I think that's probably a sign that I'm doing my job well if that was the case today. Not, like I said, I don't hopefully no one wants to burn me at the stake, but, but I, I think it's good to be challenged in that way. So, you know, in Australia and, and Unless you've been living with your head in the sand, you would realise that in the last few years, if you've been living in this nation, if you've come recently, you might not know this, but if you've been living in this nation, you would realise that the, Australia, the topic of Australia Day is a very hot topic, a very sensitive topic, and that's why we made a decision as a leadership team that we would speak about this, that we would, we would uh, you know, acknowledge the country and so on for that reason, because it is a very sensitive topic, and I would be the first to say that I think in the past I have not recognised or understood the depth of that, uh, the sensitivities around that issue. And at times, I was probably cynical about them. And, uh, and if I've said anything that's upset people around that, I, I would deeply apologise because as I've opened up and, and researched and thought and prayed, I've realised that this is, um, this is central to the heart of God because this is a justice issue. And so it's a sensitive issue. There's things like, do we change the date? Don't we change the date? Do, how do we recognise the plight of uh, Indigenous peoples? What about immigration? How do we deal with immigration? Of course, that's not just an issue in our nation. That's probably going to be a central, fundamental issue in the upcoming election in the United States. You know, in immigration, how do we deal with that? And of course, I've seen this among, certainly among Christian circles, the, the rise of Islam, Islamic faith and Islamic influence in our nation and Christians concerned about what that might look like. Um, and how do we do that? And, and, you know, the term Islamophobia has entered in the, into the urban dictionary. And these are all very sensitive issues. And, and you across the room will have different perspectives on them. But my, my job is to say, well, what does the Bible say? What does, what does God have to say about this? Where, where do we 
sit on this. And, and my job is not to tell you to what you should believe. My job is to encourage you to look into it for yourself. And you can come to a different perspective to me, but if you can come to a perspective where you in good conscience have read the scriptures and heard the heart of God and what you believe, and then you can say you're coming from a scripturally informed point of view rather than, a, than an, internet performed, uh, an internet point of view or something you've read or something that someone has said to you. I say this often in our church, don't just believe what you hear from the pulpit just because the pastor says it, do your own research. Study. That's when the authority comes. And so what does the Bible say? Well, I think I've got quite a bit of, I just want to read because I keep, keep my message a bit shorter, but also too because I took some time on crafting some of these things. I said, a lot of Christians assume that they can directly translate how God has dealt with Israel in the Old Testament and draw direct parallels on how God will deal with our nation and the nations of the world in the 21st century. So they look at the nation of Israel, they see what God says to Israel, and they go, well, that's what God's saying to Australia. Now, I'm about to, I told you I was going to tread on toes. Could I tread on some toes right now? Who, tell, who knows the chapter, the, the verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14? If anyone is involved in prayer ministry of any kind, you would know 2 Chronicles 7.14. Anyone put their hand? Oh, they, they beat me to it. I was waiting. You know it, yeah, you know it, you know it, Steve. Oh, we might as well put it up there. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, this scripture is regularly used in prayer networks and regularly used in prayer. In fact, it's been, I've, I've seen it come across my feed multiple times, especially in recent times with the fires and, and so on. Who's, who's seen or used that scripture in a prayer context before? I have, okay. Now, I'm not saying that we should dismiss it completely, but what I want to do is I want to show you how it's not good exegesis or good study of the scriptures to automatically take that verse and apply it to Australia and our nation. Here's why. It was written to a people, the people of Israel, a nation of Israel. If my people, that my people is who? Israel. Who are called by my name the people of Israel who are called by God's name, if they will humble themselves and pray, turn away, so they will repent. The people of God will repent and turn away from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Which land? Their land. Okay? So there's a few things we need to work out here. There's two main areas. The first thing is my people. We have to identify who the people are and, who the land, and what the land is. If we're going to take a scripture from an Old Testament and transfer it into the 21st century, we can't just automatically transfer it with thinking, without thinking through who are the people and who is the land. So, if we were to transfer it into the 21st century, who are the people? Who is God's people? The church. Us. What is our land? Pardon? All the lands? Of God. God's people, let me, let me put it a different way for you. In the Old Testament, God gave the people of Israel a geographical land. I'm going to see this in a moment. He gave them a land, and he gave them a purpose for that land. Israel failed at that, desperately failed at that. But his purpose for that land was that that land and the way they lived and conducted themselves in that land would be a light to all the nations. They failed at that. For us to take it and say the land of Australia or the land of the West or the land of the United States or the land of the UK is our land is actually not good exegesis. The reference to land there, in their case, it was the, the, 
the God-given responsibility was for a geographical land for a purpose. You and I, we, didn't, we are not given a responsibility right now for a geographical space. We are given responsibility, as Pastor Terry said, to be God's influences and bring the kingdom of God to the whole earth, all the lands of the earth. Am I making sense? I hope I'm articulating it well enough. So our land is all the lands of the earth. And if you want to drink it, shrink it down a little bit, it's a little bit more than that. It's just to say that it's that which we have been given responsibility for. Now, that's not to say that we can't take that scripture and pray it for our nation, but to say that we somehow stand in the gap for everyone in our nation and we can pray for it is, it's not bad exegesis, but it's not really, really good exegesis either. It needs to be thought through a little bit more than that. I'm going to go on because that was just a, a, to give you an example. So the Old Testament Israel was a unique people with a unique purpose under God, which they failed at. So what we need to do is try to draw in parallels from God's intention for Israel and then look at what those intentions might be within our context. My pastor that mentored me when I was a young Christian, he used to quote to me Micah 6, 8, and he would say, Rowan, Micah 6, 8, we'll put it on screen. He said, that is the, this is the Bible in a verse. We've got Micah 6, 8 up there, guys. Micah says this. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good and what he requires of you, that you do what is right, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with your God. He said, that summarizes God's plan for your life. Do the right thing, walk in humble relationship with God, love people, love mercy, be kind, all those sorts of things. That's God's summary. And God's intention for Israel was that they would do just that. Micah was speaking to the people of Israel and saying, "That's what you want to know what God wants you to do? He wants you to do that. He wants you to walk justly, to love justice, to treat the oppressed, set the oppressed free. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. This comes out over and over. And for some of you, you're, start, you're going to hear this and you're going to walk away this morning and the, the, the whole Old Testament is going to take on a different light to you because you're going to go, I get it now. I get all that Old Testament stuff that never made any sense. God wasn't talking to them about a geography. He was talking to them about them being his representatives and bringing the kingdom of God to the earth around them and showing people what God looked like. Their job was to show all the nations, all the peoples in different contexts of the world what God really looked like. And so Pastor Ivana mentioned there um, the book of Exodus and, and the Israelites coming out of slavery. And just as they were getting set up, just a few chapters before Pastor Ivana mentioned it, they were setting up their nation. And I want to read to you some verses out of Exodus chapter 19, where this is right at the beginning of the formation of the nation of Israel. God is starting his plan to call a people out of the world, that they would be his people and he would begin the redemption of the whole world through these people. And this is what God says to them in Exodus chapter 19 from verse 3. We got that there. It says, Then Moses climbed to the mountain before God. The Lord God called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob and announce it to the descendants of Israel. Who are these instructions for? Israel, God's people. These are instructions for God's new people group that he was setting up, his people, the same ones who are called by his name. He says to them, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you and brought you out of slavery and brought you to myself. You saw what it was like living there. Now, I want you to remember that, that I have rescued you. I have called you. And then he says, now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. And all the Israelites said, oh, we're his special people. We are God's chosen people. We are called from all the peoples of the earth, and we are the apple of his eye. But the problem is, the verse doesn't stop there. 
I think what concerns me is I see a lot of Christians stop there. Oh, we are God's chosen people. We have the rights. We are able to live our best life because God is on our side. That wasn't actually the point of the message because he goes on and says, I've called you from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth, how much? All the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. This is the message you must give. The reason I have called you is not so that you could separate yourself from everybody else and say how beautiful and blessed and wonderful you are. I have called you to represent me to everybody. Now, who are the people in the book of Exodus? Israel. Who are the people? We've already established it. Who are the people in the New Testament that it's referring to? The 21st century? The church. In fact, the Apostle Peter uses this exact scripture, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, you, the church, are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you want any reference to this, that's as simple and black and white as it comes. He took a scripture about Israel and he took it and he applied it to the church. He says, the kingdom of Israel, people of Israel were not supposed to be elitist and keep to themselves and live by a standard where they looked down on everybody else and judged everybody else and separated themselves from fear that they would be corrupted by everybody else and kept everybody out of their land. He said, no, that's not what they were supposed to do. Unfortunately, they did that, but now that job has been given to the church, and yet we so often bunker down and we protect ourselves and we fear that this nation or that nation is going to come in and affect our nation, and we are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy people to all the nations of the earth. And yes, it's risky, And yes, there might be terrorism risks and all kinds of things that go with it, but the greater calling of God is that we would represent him and show the world what God is like. And when people see Christians that are pushing back and saying, you can't come in here and you can't be this way, that is not what God is like. And we can't be that way. We aren't representing him well when we do that. So often we see that. Israel missed it. And my fear is that so often we miss it. And we can miss it with Naivety, we can miss it through not acknowledging the different cultures, and that's why we wanted to do that. The rest of the Old Testament law was not about how Israel was to live with an elitist, judgmental attitude that says, we're better than you, but how their different lives and standards of justice were to show the rest of the world what God was like. The rest of the law that Pastor Ravana is just about to start reading was saying, this is what I'm like. It's a different standard to the... If you compare the law of Israel with the laws of the contemporary nations around it at its time, it's a different standard. You you can't compare it with 21st century law because the people were much more um, ancient in their beliefs, but compared to the, the ones of the time, it's a different standard. God was saying, if you will live this way, you will be a light and people will see see you and go, I want to live in a land like that. I want to be a part of a people that care for others. I want to be a part of people that speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, and that would be the draw card. But Israel missed it. And I don't believe. Actually, I say I'm fearful. I'm concerned that Christians aren't doing it, but I'm not fearful that it won't happen. And I'll show you what, because Jesus said the church will fulfill that plan. The church will fulfill that plan. But before we go, we've got a few more minutes. I want to show you a bit of geography. This thing we were talking about geography. If we get map number one up. I need a pointer, actually. Can you rush me down the pointer if that's all right? Thank you, Caleb. So this is a sort of a, a picture of the, straight out of Google Maps, of the Middle East, okay? So what we would call the Middle East is this area in here. In Bible times, it was called the ancient Near East. Now, Israel sits right there. You can see why it's a hotly contested land, just by where it sits in terms of 
its spot. Now, God chose the people of Israel to live there. And if you bear in mind what I've just said, that God's plan for the people of Israel was that they would be a light to all the nations. Not that they would separate themselves and say how wonderful they are, but they would represent him to all the earth. You can actually see why God sent them there. Can we have the next map? Because the next map will show it in a little bit more depth. Now, I've shrunk in on this map. Don't worry about all the places and names and so on. But what I want to show you, this, this basically this strip here is the land of Israel. Now, Israel set in ancient times was set as right on the, the, the merging of three continental major trade routes. Anyone that was coming from Asia and India over here and wanted to go to Europe up here or to Africa down here, they had to go through what was called the Fertile Crescent, which is this road like this. And so what happened is this whole land here, people would come from Africa to Europe this way, they would go this way, they would go this way. The idea that God had in mind when he put Israel there was that they would be a nation that people would be coming to. People would be passing through. They would be a transient nation. And as people came through and interacted with the locals and saw God's standard, they would be, a, they would be intrigued by that. And they would take that message back to wherever they went, in Europe or Asia or Africa, three major continents, and they would say, there is this people that live differently. There is this people that live by a different standard. You should go and visit them. You should see the way they live. That was God's plan. Israel failed because they closed their borders and they separated themselves when God's intention was, no, find a way to live by my standard. We won't worry about map three. We're out of time for that map three. Is this sort of making any sense to you? So we just can't take Old Testament passages about Israel and translate them to Australia or America or any other Western nation for that matter. Jesus reprimanded Israel for failing at their duty. I want to show you a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 21. He was talking to the Israelite leaders who had done what I've just said. They had created themselves as an elitist nation. They had separated themselves in the way that they looked down and thought they were better than everybody else and woe to those heathens around them. That was never God's intention. Hopefully I've shown you God's intention was that they would live differently because they cared about other people and they would love other people. If you haven't shown you, I'm going to before we finish in the next couple of minutes. So Jesus tells in typical Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild fashion. If you know anything about Jesus, you know that gentle Jesus, meek and mild is a great nursery rhyme, but it doesn't really fit with Jesus of Nazareth a lot of the time, especially when he was dealing with self-righteousness, especially when he was dealing with elitism, especially when he was dealing with people who thought they were better than everybody else. He says, I want to tell you another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit, pressed out the grape, for pressing out grape juice, built a lookout tower, and leased the vineyard to tenant farmers who moved to another country. I want to explain it to you. Who do you think the landowner is? The landowner is actually God. God. God's the landowner. Who do you think the tenants are, Dave? You just said it. Israel. Okay, just as you read this, this is the context. The landowner is God, and he leased out some land to tenants. Tenants are what? They're responsible for producing something on behalf of the landowner, yeah? They get to enjoy some of it themselves, but a tenant on a farm is responsible for the farm on behalf of the landowner. So that's the context. Jesus is saying, my father created a vineyard, beautiful land of Israel, and he put some tenants in it, the people of Israel. At the grape harvest... In the future, he sent his servants to collect 
some of the share of the crop. Hey, guys, could you pay back to the landowner what you deserve? Now, what do you think the crop was supposed to be? The grapes here. But what do you think the crop that Israel was supposed to produce was? Sorry? Souls, justice, kingdom. We're supposed to show God, show the world what God was like, bring people into relationship with their father. That was the crop, to demonstrate to the world the principles of God, that he's a loving God, that he's gracious, that he's merciful, that he's up for all peoples. That was the crop. And so as time went on, and Israel wasn't doing this, God sent them, ten, he sent them, uh, what do you call it? Servants. Who do you think he, Jesus is referring to here? The servants. The prophets. He brought, he time and time sent them to say, hey, get back on track, guys. You're missing your plan. He sent them prophets. But whenever the prophets came to collect their share of the crop, the farmers grabbed them and beat them and killed them and stoned the others. In other words, exactly what they did to the prophets. They refused to listen to the representatives who'd come from the landowner, the father. So the landowner sent a large group of his servants to collect, but the results were the same, all the prophets. Finally, the landowner said, surely they'll respect my son. Who's the son? Jesus, good answer. But when the tenant farmers saw him coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and we'll get the whole lot for ourselves. They grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, who, what do you think he will do to those farmers? If you're the owner of a vineyard and that's happened to your son and your servants, what are you going to do? Justice. The religious leaders, who didn't actually hadn't tweaked to it by this point, they said, oh, he'll, reply, he'll put the, the wicked men to a horrible death and he'll lease the vineyard to other people who will give the share of the crop. Who might the other people be? The church. Yes, good at Gentiles, the church. And as if not to clarify it more, he says, haven't you ever read the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone? The Lord is doing this and it's wonderful to see. Now, last verse. On this bit, he says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, who? Israel, and given to another who will produce its fruit. Who? The church. So what Israel failed to do, we are called to do. We are called to shine his love to the world around us. Thanks for listening today. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash c3wallandilly.